Welcome to See You on the Other Side, where the world of the mysterious collides with the world of entertainment. A discussion of art, music, movies, spirituality, the weird, and self-discovery. And now, your hosts, musicians and entertainers who have their own weakness for the weird, Mike and Wendy from the band Sunspot. Oh, it's hot. Yeah, it is. It is smoking hot today. <laughs> Dog days of summer are they here. They absolutely are. No, I did a, a 12 miles in 90 degrees yesterday. That is so insane. That is ill-advised. Yeah. That is ill-advised. So, Well, we had rehearsal on Tuesday. Yeah. And as I, as I was arriving, you were coming running in and you're like, I had to retreat. <laughs> no, I had to retreat. It's too hot. No, I came back. I did, I did eight miles and I was so, it really was like I was in the, uh, like I came out of the pool. You looked like you just came straight from a pool party. But I, but I came out of the sweat <laughs> pool party. Oh. Right. And the sweaty right, pool Right. It wasn't party. actually from a pool. It yeah. Was, it's not like, no, we just had margaritas and stuff. It was like, no, I had pain milkshakes. That's nasty. So anyway. yeah, no, it's it's summer in Wisconsin, and that means well, August in Wisconsin is usually hot and muggy, and but we're we're all way into September. Okay, but it just started. Yes, it's true. And You're the right. last the last week of August was pretty weak sauce when it came to it hot weather. It was cool and it was lovely for mm-hmm. running. It was beautiful. Yeah, but, but no. now 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 that the training has to begin in earnest. No, my baby's on fire. I'm oh, dying. That's nasty. I am dying. Dying. So anyway, it's super hot today. We're in. <laughs> The uh, Sunspot Secret Bunker, working on some stuff and uh, sweating. It's kind of like a sauna. Yeah, I like that. I like to think of it like a healthy, a healthy sauna. We're working our way through things. (laughs) Yeah, that's a good way to put it. As we record. Yes. Anyway, we'd like to thank all the new listeners who've come on to see you on the other side to make August our best month ever. Yes, that was so exciting. It really was. We were checking the statistics like crazy every day. Yes. Oh my gosh. Oh my God. This day is better than the last one. This was so. All the new people downloading. We we absolutely love you. Thank you. We hope you continue to enjoy the program. And let's hear a new five star review. We kiss you. Yes. Okay. (laughs) So we got this review in iTunes and. Thank you for leaving this review. Emery, Emery like the road. Been listening since the recent Nashville episode. That was oh. the one when I was in Nashville. <laughs> okay, then. And since gone back through most of the entire back catalog, this exquisitely crafted podcast is just informal enough to be welcoming to the listener while having some pretty impressive interviews from good sources that many fans of the paranormal wouldn't yet know about. This one is definitely for fans of Mysterious Universe who want to get a little more specific and for fans of atypical and quasi-impromptu music composition. So thank you, Emery, so much for leaving this review. And I had a wonderful time meeting Emery while I was in Nashville, in fact. Oh, very cool. Yeah, and we got to wander around and see some of the cool sites in Nashville together and also with our good friend, Jem. Oh, we love her. And so it's really cool that he actually took the time because, you know, you have lots of friends and they're like, oh, you have a podcast. Oh, that's cool. And, and then, most people don't even know what the podcasting right. is on their iPhones. They're like, oh, yeah. this thing says podcast. You're on this? What? So, Emery, thank you for listening. Mm-hmm. Thank you for taking the time to leave a review. And thank you for um, being a wonderful host while I was in Nashville and showing me some really great spots in Nashville. And I like such a great time. I like that he knows the scene because he knows about Mysterious Universe. And Mysterious Universe is a fine Australian oh, paranormal I love podcast. That podcast. And yeah. no, they're really fun. I really I have the app on my phone and stuff like that. So I pay oh, attention. Man. Yeah, so so thanks for the five star review, Emery. And um, if anybody else would would be kind enough to, um, if you have an opinion about our show, please leave it on there. We'd love to hear what you have mm-hmm. to say. And 
And if it's something good, we might read it. <laughs> right. If it's something bad, well, that's best left to the imagination. But or, or for us to cry about right at night. Let me cry in my cider. <laughs> anyway, so we're having a fine time today. And I'm, I'm really excited about this interview I did the other day, Wendy. Yeah. And um, it's been something that I'm always interested in, but I've never actually had the experience. And that is the out-of-body experience. Ooh. So... When you think of out-of-body experience, what do you think of? What I think of is, I think of, I picture like the hospital scenario where somebody's like in critical condition being worked on and then it's it's typically in a movie or a TV show. Right. And then you get the view of the person where they kind of like, they die or whatever. And then they, you can see the view of them laying in the hospital bed and they're kind of up in the corner watching everybody trying to revive them. And um, that's kind of, that's the first thing I think of is, is somebody you know, about to cross over or whatever and that's seeing a, themselves that's in that a good position. way to do it. That's a good way to do it. If you want to see a good representation, a filmic cinematic representation, mm-hmm. uh, Peter Jackson, the guy that did the Lord of the Rings movies. Yeah. King Kong, Heavenly Creatures, the Hobbit stuff. He's done a couple things. Yeah. I mean, whatever. Yeah. And, yeah. And plus his old He's school right. stuff like Bad Taste and Meet the Feebles and all this kind of crazy New Zealand stuff from the 90s. He's got a movie like his first... After Heavenly Creatures, his first mainstream uh, Hollywood movie was called The Frighteners. That sounds familiar. I don't know if I saw it. it it's, a, it's an awesome movie. It's got okay. Michael J. Fox. Um, Win already. Yeah, Michael J. Fox. Jake, right before, like, I mean, right before Spin City and stuff like that. So it was Michael J. Fox just coming into his own uh, after the Back to the Futures. And Jake Busey, son of Gary Busey. So still has a little bit of the crazy in him. <laughs> Um, John Aston's in it. Chi McBride, the, the principal from Boston Legal. Um, Whoa. Yeah. Who, I, I, oh, Jeffrey Combs. Jeffrey Combs is the guy that starred in Reanimator and Castle Freak and all of Stuart Gordon's movies, horror movies. Anyway, I love The Frighteners. Okay. So, The Frighteners, it's a horror movie, I think. Yeah, it's it? called okay. The Frighteners. So, because yeah. I've been like, I'm going to watch that. I'm going to look it up on Netflix tonight. And then I'm like, eh, that's a horror movie. Maybe I'll save it's, it. It's a scary movie, but it's yeah. got, st- it's still playing. It's fun. Okay. It's a fun, scary oh, okay. movie. Okay. So, and it, it's, it would it's, be okay for me to watch alone? Yeah, I would night? say. Because okay. there's a lot of hot comedy in it and stuff, too. Because a lot of Peter Jackson, right. Peter Jackson made his bones with horror movies in New Zealand. In the early 1990s. Okay. So it won't give me nightmares like that gigantic spider that's in the bathroom downstairs. No, no. That gives me nightmares. No, literally, I had a dream about it last night. I'm oh not my kidding God. you. I did. Yeah. Yes. Anyway, there's a massive spider. Anyway, watch out for that spider because he wants to kill you. And of course, we just leave him there because we're like, yeah, we could probably use a few hundred more of these. <laughs> yeah. No, it's like, great. Instead of evicting him, let's just let's just let him be. That's great. I can't wait till one day there's a huge web at the practice <laughs> space. We fall into it and then like... And like, you never hear from us again. We're like, what happened to Ben? And then all of a sudden, you realize that half his face has been eaten by a giant spider. If the podcast episodes stop, send help. Right. That's all we're saying <laughs> is we might need some serious intervention, spider, arachnid intervention. The uh, Frighteners has a great representation of an out-of-body experience. It's closer to the near-death experience that you're talking okay. about. So that Okay, I'm sorry. I guess I'm yeah out-of-body. But it's different. the same kind of thing. Because something, your consciousness, the idea of an out-of-body experience is your consciousness leaves your body. Yes. And in, in new age, new wavy kind of books, they talk about the silver cord that still connects you to your body. Ooh, silver cord. And, you know, we talked to uh, Garnet Schulhauser a few months ago about his friend Albert. That's right. Yeah, spirit and, guide. And right. they, yep, and they left their body and then went to... Yeah, a different spiritual plane. Right, all this kind of stuff. Yeah. 
And uh, the Frighteners kind of shows that. Oh, okay. Where Michael J. Fox has to leave his body to go fight the ghosts. That's in, a pretty intense movie. I oh, mean, it's a great it's it's a great movie. It okay. really is a great movie. And there's a wonderful cover of Don't Fear the Reaper oh, at the end great song. by a uh, by a New Zealand band. Okay. So I, I have that on my iPod actually. Cool. My iPod. No, it's my it's on my iTunes. <laughs> like I haven't had an iPod since two thousand five. Dude, I have a nano. Don't knock it. I know it's I'm not lightweight. It. It's great. It's great. I'm just saying, like, I talk about an iPod, like, it's a thing I have now. So, The Frighteners is a great way. And the idea of the out of body experience is your consciousness. I mean, you think of it like near death. And I talked to this about yeah. uh, Luis Moneros, who I interviewed uh, the other day. So, when I talked to Luis about it, you know, he, he was giving us directions on how to have your own out of body experience. Whoa, that's cool. Yeah. And that, that's what so, we're going to talk about in the episode. Okay. But I have a question. Yeah. Why would you necessarily want, I mean, aside from the fact that it, it might be cool or strange, why would you want to do that? Well, imagine that you can travel anywhere in the universe. Imagine that you are completely unencumbered okay. by your body, by your physicality. Okay. And that's the idea. That's so, pretty cool. Yeah. So the idea of an out-of-body experience is that, and we talk about this in the interview, like connecting with other people and meeting other creatures, non-physical creatures. It's scary creature. though, leaving your, it, your, you know, it's your... Because all we know is our physicality. Yeah. And I guess that's the whole idea. That there's a consciousness that exists without the body. So you're looking to advance your consciousness or yeah. to understand things beyond what you're used to. Beyond your physical. Okay. So your physical represents something. Seems worthwhile. I mean. And, and that's the whole idea. Now, I mean, the first, I, I mean, out-of-body experiences have been something that's happened in uh, meditation for a long time. Right. So people yep. use meditation to try to get outside of their body. Yeah. Now, are these things imagination? Are these things just a feeling you get, because I've never had an out-of-body experience myself, but I have felt in meditation, when I've meditated for a long time, that I'm coming to the edge of my body. We talk okay. about this in the podcast, but you feel like you come to the edge of your body and that you're focusing outside of it. Okay. All right. That's now, pretty is intense. That, right. Is that my imagination? Am I activating some kind of you know, brain area yeah, that, how do you know? <laughs> that doesn't connect to the physical? Right. I mean, kind of like when you're schizophrenic, and you hear voices, right. it's your brain talking to you, but you don't know what's your you brain talking You can't tell to. that. You don't know. So are you feeling that you're outside of your body when you're really I still see. inside? I mean, that's the whole thing. That's cool. But uh, Louis Monero is very interesting character from the uh, International Academy of Consciousness in California. Wow, excellent. He's got a whole bunch of fun stuff. And so if that's you're interested great. in trying to have an out-of-body experience, then keep listening. And uh, Louis is going to tell you exactly how to do it. So let's go. We are with Louis Monero, the president of the International Academy of Consciousness and also the author of Demystifying the Out-of-Body Experience. How are you doing today, Louis? Hi, how are you doing? Thanks for having me. Well, we're, we're great here in Wisconsin. We finally get some of that. Uh, it's nice and sunny today, so we're getting some of that Southern California weather that you guys are always bragging about. <laughs> yes, actually here it's been a little bit warmer than usual, but it's still very nice. <laughs> fantastic, fantastic. So, Louis, to, to start out, why don't you let our listeners know a little bit about what the International Academy of Consciousness is up to? What do you guys do? Yeah, uh, we are a pretty large international nonprofit organization of uh, basically of research and of education. And we focus more than anything on paranormal phenomena, on out-of-body experiences, uh, on near-death experiences, on consciousness development, on bioenergies or chi, prana, organ. 
And then we have a, we're a collection of researchers, you know, dozens of researchers all over the world that uh, study this. And then we also give classes to individuals who are interested, especially in developing their own, uh, their own skills, their own out-of-body experiences. And, and yeah, lectures, classes all over the world in different, in different cities. Okay, so how did you get into this kind of thing in the beginning? Was it something that you were drawn to, or do you feel that you, you kind of fell into it? Yeah, in, in, my, in my specific case, I actually had uh, spontaneous, involuntary out-of-party experiences when I was, uh, the first one was when I was about 12. And, uh, at that time, I, you know, I just had them. I didn't even know whether there was a name to them or whether everybody did it or nobody did it. Uh, I just simply had them. I didn't have a lot uh, during my teen years. But, um, you know, once I realized that it wasn't everybody that was having them, I remember mentioning it to, to my parents, to my mom specifically. And she bought me the, the first book on out-of-body experience. The author called it Astral Travel, uh, which I guess is still a very, very common name. Okay. And, um, and then I, I went from there. I started, you know, studying, reading a little bit more when I was in uh, about to finish my university degree uh, in Florida. Uh, some of my friends, some of my current friends and uh, colleagues, and they they had arrived in Miami to establish um, the, the first or one of the ISC centers. And when I heard that of party experiences, I naturally became interested in that. And pretty soon, I started, you know, dedicating most of my time to to this, of course. And so, I mean. How did you, like, when you first had a, an experience like that, where you actually felt like you left your body, right. um, how, how old were you again? I was 12. So you're 12 years old when you're having your first, and did it happen, were, were you meditating, were you in some special place, like, what was the, kind of the uh, mitigating factors that, that yeah. got you to that experience, when, like when, the, out, like of, the out, trigger, of, out right? of nowhere, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you know, uh, back then I had this computer and probably uh, you're probably going to laugh uh, about it because, you know, back in the 80s, computers are, were not like, you know, what, what we have right now. Right, that we're the talking on right now. Exactly. You know, the brand was Atari. And, and, and I know when I say Atari, most people think of the game, but yeah. this was a, an actual computer that you would connect to, you know, a, a black and white, well, I would connect to my black and white TV and uh, it had it didn't have a hard disk, which I thought was the cruelest thing for a twelve-year-old, because then you had to turn it on. You would program it. It really only had a programming language with what, which was BASIC. So, oh yeah, uh, I, I remember BASIC. Like you know, ten yeah. print hello, twenty go to ten, and then it th exactly. fills the whole screen. That's exactly it. So not even not even DOS. <laughs> so forget about Windows. So it was just simply BASIC. So. You know, I had taken a couple of computer classes back then, you know, just very simple things. Um, and I had the habit of coming home from school and, you know, wanting to, like, play with my computer. And I would put my hands on top of the keyboard. And before turning it on, because it didn't have a hard disk, I would spend maybe like a half an hour thinking about what I was going to do. Uh, but that specific day, I became sleepy. I, um, you know, it was in my bedroom. So I went to my bed. I, you know, just simply took a nap. And maybe about a half an hour afterwards, I was still staring at the, at the TV, at the black and white TV with my hands on the keyboard. And maybe because it was something more intellectual, I guess, uh, it sort of like dawned on me that I had felt sleepy about a half an hour ago. 
And then when I turned around, like to look in the direction of my bed, I saw my body. And that sort of like surprised me. And I went immediately into my physical body and I woke up. And I remember I was thinking, wait a second, I was over there, but I was here, <laughs> but I was over there. Really, at that, at that moment, I didn't, I didn't understand it. But I, I think that it was more than anything because I was doing something more, more intellectually challenging for me that helped me to regain the awareness in that, uh, in that first experience at that age. Well, that's, I mean, that's interesting, too, because it, it came the place where, um, so you left your body in your sleep. And then once you started, um, yes. once you started reading about it, like, did you did you continue to have experiences like that when you were uh, a teenager? Like, did, was that did that just happen when you were twelve and it didn't happen again for twenty years, or did you did you continue to have things like that after that? Yeah, no, I continue to have them. I I wouldn't have them that often. I would have them maybe once uh, once a year, once every fifteen months. But um, I remember after a few years, maybe when I was 16 or so, even a few times after I had had them, I would go to bed thinking, I wish I can have that cool type of dream or experience. I really didn't have a name for it. Um, so I, I did keep on having them. Uh, naturally, when, I, when the first book, uh, On Out-of-Body Experiences, fell in, on, in my hands, you know, uh, that's when I realized that they were, there were techniques, there were ways that I could, you know, like train or try to boost them. And then little by little, I started to collect more and more books. And, you know, the capacity naturally uh, grew from there. When you told your mother about it, did she think it was weird or was she like, oh, that's cool. You had an out-of-body experience. You know, it, it, I am very grateful for the fact that she didn't think that it was weird. And she was actually the one that bought me the first book. Maybe some of the listeners are going to remember this author. His name is Lobsang Rampa. He, he wrote a lot of books in the 60s, especially, and in the, in the 70s, especially in the 60s. So uh, that was the first book that I got. It's called The Third Eye. Now, what was weird is that the reason why I told my mother is because I was in, in school. We were having really lunch with the rest of my classmates. And mm -hmm. this other classmate of mine, he also had out-of-body experiences. But he's where, I guess, he was very afraid about them. He was always very afraid about them. And, and I wasn't. For me, I was, you know, floating about the, about the house. Sometimes I would see my dog walking in the middle of the night, you know, during the house. And I would try to call his attention. And just simply going through walls, I just simply thought that it was that it, that it was interesting. That it, I guess, as a kid, I thought that it was cool. And so, anyways, we got to talk to. We started talking with my friend about mm -hmm. the body experiences, and I was telling him, "No, look, they're not like this." And we got we really got deep into the conversation for like twenty minutes. And then after those twenty minutes, I remember I we sort of like turned around and we realized that the rest of you know, the, the school, the classmates of the people in, in, you know, in the table where we were at, they, w they had been looking at us like, what are you guys talking about? <laughs> right, what do you mean? What, yes, what is going on here? And for us, it was so, or at least for me, it was so natural. I really, I guess I must have thought that everybody did it. Back then, I hadn't even stopped to think about whether that was, you know, different, unique, or, you know, what were the statistics? And that sort of like uh, naturally called my attention to the fact that not everybody does it. So I, you know, I mentioned it to my mom and she had already heard of it uh, simply because she had read, I guess, uh, some some years before, you know, about uh, some some other ideologies like the Rosicrucians and uh, the Freemasons and things like that. So she had already 
heard about it. So, so you didn't, didn't grow up in a um, like the kind of religious family where that would you know like where you were getting something like hey that's don't play with that stuff or anything like that. No, not in that sense, but my family was was religious. Yes, absolutely. We were we were raised Catholics. You know, uh, my I certainly did my first communion and confirmation, and my mother still has the pictures for that, even though I've tried to wrestle those pictures out of her hands you know <laughs> she just sure. won't give them up <laughs> so good thing that she's not on facebook is what i say right <laughs> but uh but yes i was raised catholic and you know we we had to go to mass uh, every now and then uh, but they were not at, at least my parents were not that strict like in the sense of don't do this don't do that uh you know with that with that with those types of things also by the time i told her i think i was 17 so i wasn't anymore you know uh a little little kid, so uh, yeah. Okay, and and that's and, and that's interesting because you're you're always wondering like what the what the family you know says when people start having experiences also and and then you know what people's conflicts with religion are and um, you know I was raised Catholic too and um, you know some people get the whole like well if you're messing with the paranormal you're playing with the devil and then some people don't even get that at all and they can you know they 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 think it's fun or whatever so that i'm always interested to see how people who are into this stuff yeah uh, how, know, they, how they got into it and what kind of conflicts they might have had and then how they got over those conflicts right for me uh, certainly it was fun but I, what i would you know, the way i would describe them more than anything is that it was so natural it was just so you know, like a dream. And then it would be almost like us saying, is the dream pro-religion or, or against religion? And really the dream is just a natural activity of human beings. It's just so, a thing. Yeah. It, it's, you know, like walking, I don't know, or reading. People from any religion can learn to walk or to read. So it, it really has nothing to do one thing with the other. Well, so, so it, you, started, um, you started teaching around 1996. Indeed, yes. And uh, you started getting into telling people about paranormal phenomena, OBEs, spiritual stuff. And um, like, how did you make that transition? So like, when did you get into the Institute? It was after college. And right. you found some friends who were, who were either part of the Institute, were they starting the Institute? Like, how did you get into there? Right. You know, uh, when I was in the in the university, actually, and they arrived at uh, to establish, you know, the first uh, center, it was actually fairly close to to the university in Miami. Uh, there was this article that was written in the Miami Herald, you know, about them. Uh, at first, I really didn't want it to go too much because the way the journalists had written the article, it sounded very mystical. And, and, and I myself was always more of a Actually, I studied chemistry, so I, I was a little bit more, you know, uh, let's see, you know, the mechanism, how things work. Science-oriented. You know, yes, more science-oriented and less, like, uh, occult-based, you know, in, in these types of ideologies. And actually, many times even people ask me, how did you as a chemist end up in this? But um, for me, really, there was never any conflict, you know, in the sense that... Uh, you leave the body and you try you you stay as aware as sharp as incisive as you know scrutinizing everything the same way you would do here the same way any scientist would do here so um so at that time you know i eventually i decided to go to the first activity uh, to the first class and uh and since some of the first you know uh, classes there that they were giving simply because i wanted to 
to have more techniques and more ways of trying to produce the out-of-body experience to, to improve my skills uh, even further. But since the first classes, I realized, oh, this is it. This is where I should be contributing, spending more of my time. So pretty soon I became a, a volunteer and then an instructor. And then, you know, uh, I, I, I continued, of course, dedicating time to, that, uh, to, to, to this endeavor. And so when you started working on it and teaching it and studying it, were you able to have more out-of-body experiences, maybe not sleeping, maybe, you know, like when you were awake or meditating, or how did your personal skills develop at it? Yes, indeed. You know, I, I, I started understanding, well, first of all, a lot of other factors that I didn't, that I didn't know about the out-of-body experiences. But as well, I, uh, you know, most of the techniques, I guess, or most of the disconnections or out-of-body experiences, you don't necessarily have to fall asleep or fully fall asleep in order to, to disconnect from the body. But yes, you start to do a, a technique in which you're lying down, certainly, certainly, so that the physical body is at rest and supported. And uh, you start to disconnect from the physical body without any loss of awareness. So you perceive the entire disconnection until you are out. You can turn around, look at your physical body in bed. Naturally, the moment that you are dis already disconnected from the physical body, the physical body falls asleep on its own, but you haven't lost your awareness because you are outside of it. So many times, for example, I know I... <laughs> Uh, with my friends, I usually don't like to admit this, but the moment that I disconnect myself from my body, my body starts to snore and I can hear myself snoring. <laughs> and I usually you know, try <laughs> to, to, to be the one that says, no, I don't snore, but you know, I, I know I do. <laughs> Actually, <laughs> my, I had a, a girlfriend that recorded me eventually. And I, anyways, I already knew that I did it. But, uh, but the point is, the moment that you disconnect, you are aware, you are conscious, but your physical body falls asleep. And for any external observer, I would say, here in the physical reality, they would see you, they would just simply say, he fell asleep. But you are outside your body, aware, conscious, lucid, and then, of course, you can go and, uh, you know, have experiences and uh, return and to the body, remember them, and, you know, take advantage of them. So... With a lot of people you work with, have you found that, um, you know, because I think of when I think of people that I know that have said they've had out-of-body experiences or, or weird things happen, it's always been some kind of accident right. where they're doing something and all of a sudden something crazy happens and they feel like they're out of their body. In fact, I was just talking to a guy about a half an hour ago um, about, I mean, he said he was meditating and then he, he had left his body for five minutes and he said it freaked him out so much that he, <laughs> you know, he, he came right back. Yes, yes, and, understandable. <laughs> and so, you know, when do you get to the point, I mean, where you feel that you're actually leaving your body and you're in control of it versus it being some kind of happy accident that happens? Right. You know, I, I think that for that, uh, which is what I, what I tell students, what we, what we tell students, you know, uh, the person in essence needs to needs to gather some information, understand, especially, for example, first, what are the, the sensations of disconnection, practice somewhat so as to get used to those sensations, because some of those sensations are, are different from the physical reality. And, and I guess to a certain extent, we should expect them to be, you know, it's like, uh, I don't know, going uh, swimming. And of course, the sensation of being in the water is very different from the sensation of being out of the water. So we just need to get used to it. 
Uh, but once we get used to it and once we start to practice it and once we understand also more or less how things are going to go, then uh, we relax a little bit more. We start to really try the techniques and to try to induce every time more the, the out-of-body experiences. And, and I don't know if we ever get to the point, certainly this is not my case, where you're able to leave the body, let's say, at any moment, under any circumstance, uh, at any second. No. But uh, maybe to try to use a sports analogy, it's almost as if your batting average increases. So um, even using this sports analogy, you know, um, somebody that practices batting their entire life, they are still not going to bat a thousand. But if they bat, I don't know, 350, you know, that's already right. They're a Hall of Fame baseball player, right? Yes, certainly. So so that that in essence is what uh, what starts to happen. We need to receive some information, dedicate some time, and then the skill goes on developing little by little. Uh, so as so as for it not to happen, you know, uh, accidentally. So when you get into it, and um, you talk about demystifying the out of body experience, like to me, there is nothing more mystical <laughs> than it, you know, because you're talking about your consciousness leaving its physical form and going somewhere and still observing what's going on without right. the sensory, you know, without the the sense organs. Right, to, the to physical senses, back. yes. Yeah, so demystifying it uh, is the name of your book, and that makes me think of like, well, how, I mean, what's the first step in demystifying it from taking it where it's something where this is just a crazy thing to happen to me when I meditated once or I was sleeping, and I, and my sister talks about a, an experience she had where she felt that her, her, um, she was above her body and was spinning around it. Like was spinning above it, you know, right. a, f- a few feet above it, yeah. and then yeah. she, you know, crashed right back into it, and said that it was. She felt like she was looking at herself, and you know, all around it, and and that kind of thing. Like, how do you make it so it's like, okay, this isn't something weird. This is something that um, is natural, like you said, like you, it felt natural to you. Yes. Um, what's the first step in doing that? Well, you know, the, I think that the first thing in 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 the the general, I guess, uh, intention of demystifying it is that uh, historically, you know, the out-of-body experience uh, has belonged, or this information has belonged to to ideologies and to groups that were a little bit more occult and more closed. And of course, uh, it was always, you know, it, it always went hand in hand with a lot of different types of like rituals or um you know, folkloric elements of many, many cultures, and mm-hmm. and and that's natural. You know, that's that's the way our history has been. So, so part of the idea in demystifying it, I guess, is to try to bring it to the 21st century to try to understand the the mechanics of it or the mechanism of disconnection. You know, why does it happen? Studying it almost um, in a more scientific or like a medical um, condition. So, you know, as you're disconnecting. The energetic connections start to stretch. We need to make these energetic connections more flexible so that they allow the, the disconnection of the so-called astral body. Let me call it this at this moment, the, the astral body from the physical body. And uh, the flexibility of those energetic connections allows you to, you know, control the disconnection a little bit better and to have success more often. So in, in essence, trying to trying to understand as best as we can in a very rational, direct, uh, observational approach, 
type of a fashion so that uh, it's no longer part of just simply, you know, I don't know, a, a hidden culture or a hidden ideology or a folkloric uh, movement, so to speak. So, th- so that is a big part of it. So, so okay. So let's we're, we're bringing OBEs to the masses here, right? So out-of-body experiences to, to the regular person. Sure, I, um, I like that. <laughs> that should be in the title of the next book, you know, <laughs> OBEs to the masses. <laughs> so if you are someone, like let's say, do you think you need to be a spiritual kind of person to have an out-of-body experience? You know, I, I don't think so. No, I don't think so. You need to, or let me let me answer it in, in, in two fashions. I, I don't think so because sometimes I have seen people that leave their body, you know, uh, through through drugs or, you know, uh, or sometimes there are many reports of individuals that they are in prison and they're trying to, you know, escape the, the, the physical prison, the mm-hmm. physical jail itself. And, that, and because of that, they end up having out-of-body experiences. And, of course, we... We would need to analyze and study, you know, whether they are good beings or bad beings and wrongly imprisoned and everything. But, you know, generally speaking, most of them might not be. So uh, the the, the process itself of disconnecting from the body uh, seems to be almost uh, a little bit more of a mechanical aspect. Now, the process afterwards of staying outside the body, of regaining the awareness and of being able to take advantage of of the experiences and of having more spiritual experiences, mm-hmm. yes, for that, uh, being a more spiritual person will make all the all the difference. Um, so, so I I would sort of like explain it that it's more or less like learning how to read. That the process of learning how to read itself, you know, almost anybody can do it. But then afterwards, once the person knows how to read, there are people who only use it for reading the funnies of the newspaper right. or the sports section. Well, there are other people who are going, you know, through, I don't know, heavy philosoph- philosophical texts or astronomy or psychology or anything else. And then they are educating themselves a lot more. But the ability itself, you know, uh, c- can be developed, certainly. Okay, so let's take it. Let's, um, let's say, let, let's walk through. All right. If you were going to... Um, try to have your first out-of-body experience just just to give it a shot or, or to, to feel what it might be like. Um, let's like walk through how you would start it. Like okay. to me, I'd be like, okay, to me, I would, uh, you know, get in a quiet room and sit on a pillow and get in the meditation pose. What would you do? Right. Uh, I, I would certainly get into a quiet room. I would lie down um, facing upward, so I would lie lie on my back. Uh, I would actually put a few pillows underneath my legs, which which is what I do, just so that my legs are bent, and that uh, helps with the uh, with the circulation, you know, with the blood circulation. Okay. Uh, then you know uh, I would start to do certain energy exercises, and there are many. Some of them are, you know, uh, and by energy I mean bioenergy, chi, prana, ki, you know, so I'm not talking about the electricity, <laughs> but about the physical types of energy, but I'm talking more about the vital energies. Okay, uh, so what's what's the simplest energy exercise you could recommend to somebody, that just the, the, the most basic? Right, one of the most basics and that, that, that can probably help is actually the moment that you're, you can do it lying down, sitting, or in any position, but if I were at that moment lying down is, I will start to try to feel my energies inside my body and I will start to run the energies 
from the top of my head going downwards into the feet, and then from the from the feet going upwards to the head, to the feet, to the head, to the feet, and I would stay in that like a yo-yo motion, you know, of mo of bouncing the energies um, on the top of my head and on my feet. And as I start to get used to that uh, to that um, activity, I start to accelerate it, meaning I start to move it faster within my body. And then my energetic system is going to enter into a resonance condition that is called a vibrational state, which, by the way, many people describe many times before a spontaneous out-of-body experience, before an involuntary out-of-body experience. So the, um, the practice of moving the energies inside of your body upwards and downwards induces those vibrations that also spur or promote, you know, the, the, the out-of-body experience. So that would be one of the first things that I would do, go through that. So the idea of moving the energy, like, like I would say for a lot of our listeners, that might even be already advanced. Abstract. Right, because yes. it's, it's like, okay, what does that mean to move energy? And yes. to me, and let me see if I get this right. To me, that's thinking or, you know, it's, it's placing my attention, let's say, on my forehead, and thinking of, you know, that there's energy in my forehead, but just placing the attention in my forehead. And then I, I, I place that attention slowly through, like I, I would bring it down, um, and the attention to my eyes, the attention to the rest of my face, down to my throat, chest, you know, legs, up to, all the way down to the feet, you know, bit by bit by bit by bit, and keep the attention there, and then back up, and back down, and back up, and then try to get as fast as I can while still keeping the attention there. Am I in the right ballpark? Yes, absolutely. That was actually a very good, a very good description. And and uh, pointing a couple of things out, uh, what what you want when you do that is precisely what you were mentioning, highlighting the the aspect of using your attention and shifting your attention from area to area, trying to perceive the uh, the movement of the energies. And and naturally, at the beginning, uh, we might not feel too much, but pretty soon, as you keep on doing that. People start to to feel, for example, um, a wave of coldness or of or of warmth or a tingling or like a magnetic sensation. And at the beginning, those sensations are going to be subtle, but pretty soon they're going to become very obvious, uh, very clear. Um, I actually have students that after two or three weeks they they come and they say, "This is so clear, so obvious. I cannot believe other people don't feel them." Of course, these other people is them that on the first day they were sort of complaining, you know, I don't feel anything. Right. <laughs> but, you know, after two, three weeks, the person is, uh, you know, already uh, having a pretty good uh, perception of their of their energetic sensations. And um, so so that exactly is that is exactly what you would do. You would, you know, shift your attention from area to area. And, and going slow at the beginning. And that's how we start. Okay, so we're... So that's we're how at, we start, yes. And then we start doing the energy exercises. And when you say vibrational state, so is a vibrational state that when you're you're moving that energy back and forth as fast as you possibly can, like it, it almost feels like you're vibrating? Is that kind of what you mean? It, what happens is as you start to move the energy back and forth and you start to accelerate it and always trying to keep the control over the over the flow, because in essence, you're controlling it with your will. I say sometimes that it is uh, more or less the equivalent like opening and closing our hand, that we, we all can do it at this moment. And of course, we can do it because we have a lot of experience doing it. But um, if we remember when we were babies or if we have seen, you know, babies, they don't know 
very well when to close their hand or how to close their hand or how to open it. So it takes a little bit of practice. So as we are running the energies up and down and we start to control it better, we start accelerating a little bit more. And what's going to happen is that that uh, flow of energy that is moving upwards and downwards, the sensation is going to be replaced by this vibratory condition, by the fact that your body is going to start to feel as if it is vibrating. The really uh, vibrational state is a very good description, but in essence, you feel as if as if your your body internally, as if you have an, an earthquake inside your body. Uh, I'm sure that, you know, listeners probably that have had this spontaneously, they, they, they can, you know, uh, recognize this description. So you feel this uh, vibratory condition internally. And when you and when you feel it, it's not like, I mean, when you say vibratory condition, the first thing I think is like, oh, man, it's like getting the spins or something like that when you drank too much. But this is not a... Un- yeah, no. it, it's not an unpleasant experience, right? So if you have an unpleasant experience, then you might be going on the wrong path. Yes, I, I generally speaking, yes, it shouldn't. It shouldn't be an unpleasant experience. And and the reason why I say generally speaking is because maybe the first or the second time that we are not used to this, it might surprise certain people. It might actually scare them. I guess it's uh, you know going back to the to the example of the pool. It's like the first time that you put a a baby, you know, in, in water, that the fact that the water is surrounding his body, he gets, uh, you know, scared and starts screaming. Right. But after five, ten minutes, you cannot get him out of the water because now this is pleasant. So um, so really the sensation in and of itself is, is pleasant. It's, it's, it's nice, actually. You, you, you feel very well. But it could be that the first time, because it's a different, uh, you know, sensation that some people might feel, what is this, you know, uh, this type of a reaction? So, okay, so, so, so you're, let's say you hit the vibrational state. You're feeling okay. something, like you say, the earthquake in your body. Right. And that's, a, I, w- I would say to anybody who's given this a try, if you feel an earthquake in your body, <laughs> then you're on the right path, so don't be scared. Um, that, that's so, right. So then where do you, like, where would you go from there? Like, where do you shift your attention once you start feeling that inside right there there are a couple of things that you can that that you would go to one is sometimes by just simply reaching a very strong vibrational state and by strong i mean these vibrations you're going to start to feel that they are becoming more intense and more intense and more intense that already promotes the disconnection outside the body that that actually is already not only a a technique on energies but already a technique for having out-of-body experiences uh, on its own and and actually uh, many classic projectors have used the technique of inducing these uh, vibrations for having the out-of-body experiences for example uh, Robert Monroe that uh, I don't know how many listeners might be familiar with that name, but uh, his technique for leaving the body was precisely inducing these vibrations, and then the vibrations would take him outside the body. So that is one thing that can happen. Okay. Now, the other thing that can happen is sometimes you use the vibrations, or as you are vibrating, your energies, of course, start to become a little bit looser, more relaxed, more uh, free-flowing, more elastic. And then after maybe some 10 minutes of or five minutes of, of doing this energy exercise, you stop it, you relax, and then you switch into doing or into practicing a, a specifically an OBE technique, 
which can be, it can be a technique that is based on breathing, it can be a technique that is based on imagination, on visualization, or it can be a technique that is based on uh, working differently with the energies or a more intellectual one or a more relaxing one, just relaxing the physical body. So really here there are maybe about I don't know. I actually probably know about a hundred techniques in, in my book. I, I even mentioned, I put about 15 or so, and this is, you know, maybe some of the ones that I have seen that uh, work a little bit better, but uh, in essence, since everybody is very individual, sometimes the one that you least expected is the one that works for you. And so, well, let's take a, let's take the simple breathing technique. So let's take the most okay. simple, let's take the most simple one. And yeah. so you're in the vibrational state. And you're getting there and you're finally like, so you're, you're, you're kind of used to it and you're, it's getting to be, you know, a little more normal for you. What's right. that simple breathing technique, the simplest one you can think of that you would try the, the OBE technique to, to jump out? Yes. The simple one would be, you know, so you stop the vibrations and then you start breathing in the following fashion. You're going to, uh, the, the key to this technique is to use the entire capacity of your lungs, both in the in- inhalation and in the exhalation. It's called the rhythmic breathing technique. So you're going to take 10 breaths using the entire capacity of your lungs. So filling them completely and then emptying them completely without, you know, stressing yourself too much about it, without exerting, you know, a lot of effort, but just doing, you know, using the entire capacity of your lungs. After the 20 seconds, oh, sorry, after the 10 uh, breaths using the entire capacity of your lung. When you exhale on the 10th time, you're going to stay without uh, air for 20 seconds. And then you count this. You you count this, you know, in your mind. One, two, three. After those 20 seconds with the empty lungs, Mm -hmm. then you go back again into a set of 10 breaths using the entire capacity of your lungs. So you inhale and exhale 10 times. After you exhale on the 10th time, you go again with 20 seconds with the empty lungs. Then again, a set of 10 breaths using the entire capacity of your lungs, and you keep on going like that. 20 seconds, empty lungs, 10 sets of 10 breaths, you know, uh, using the entire capacity of your lungs. And you keep on going and you keep on going. What happens is after more or less, this varies from person to person, after 20 minutes, after, you know, 30 minutes, 40 minutes. And also, as, as you start becoming better with this technique, What's going to happen is that you're going to start to feel how when you don't inhale in the 11th time, because you are in the period of waiting for 20 seconds, you feel as if your astral body is starting to disconnect at the beginning, very, you know, a very short distance, maybe uh, a couple of sixteenths of an inch. But you keep on doing the technique and after, you know, a, a few more minutes, now it's now it is disconnecting you know, maybe half an inch after a couple more minutes, then it's already going out an inch. So the disconnection start to, starts to go gradually, you know, until you are, you know, fully outside the body as you keep on, as you keep on going with the process. So, so just to recap, if you guys are trying this at home, and you should be, um, so you, you get in that quiet room, you do those energy exercises, and then you kind of get into this, this breathing exercise. And as you go, try to separate yourself from your body. Now, what do you think is the, um, you're working on that when you talk about half an inch, like you might feel slightly, um, like slightly outside, you know, like what, what, what is, 
is there like an, an aha moment you feel where you look back and you're like, whoa, I'm out? Yes, I, I, meaning not usually not in the half inch. In the half inch, you feel yourself a half inch outside the body. And, right. and actually, let me even say, since we're giving them practical instructions, uh, something that happens quite often, and, and I tell the students all the time this, is that when we feel ourselves half an inch out or a little bit out, the normal reaction of most people is already, one, either to start to push, to try to help the process along, and then they start tensing and like, here I go, here I go, and, you know, try to like jump outside the body, which doesn't help, by the way. Don't, don't, so don't, don't do that. Like most things, other, like most things in life, you can't force it. <laughs> yes, exactly. And, and then the other thing that many times people do is they, they start trying to open their eyes to see if at least it's true that they ha are half an inch out. And many times the moment that we start to like tense the muscles of our eyes just to begin the opening of the eyelids, the astral body comes back. When, when we open our eyes, there is nothing and we just simply uh, basically stop the process that we had been, you know, undergoing. So, so what I would say is don't test it. Just keep on going. Keep on doing the technique. Whatever got you half an inch out. It's going to get you a full inch out. It's going to get you five inches out and three feet and eventually fully out. So just simply keep on going. Uh, you're going to have better results by continuing with the process. Now, once you are maybe about um, two to three feet out, usually what happens, sometimes even a little bit earlier, this, this can vary from, from OVE to OVE, mm -hmm. your, your vision outside the body is going to start. So sometimes you actually are still feeling very, very much your physical body uh, and the bed and the pillow and everything. And you are already receiving input from the astral body and you're already having the, the vision, you know, of the room and of the windows and of whatever, where, in whichever place you are. And this is actually called double perceptions, which happens at this, in this when we are still relatively close to the physical body. So dual perceptions is where you're getting the sensory input from the astral body as well as the physical body. Exactly. Now, is the astral body, what kind of perceptions are those? Like, is it, is it a different kind of feeling? Like, is it, is it, is it filtered? I mean, all of our feelings are filtered through our head, of course. Um, they're filtered, like it has, to, it has to go to the nerve center before we actually feel it. Right. But, in, the, in the physical body, yes, indeed. And what's it like, though, when it's the astral body? Yeah, outside the body, it, uh, it just simply, everything works completely different. Uh, even starting by the fact that the, that the astral body, for you know, all the evidence that we have, you know, doesn't really have organs. It doesn't really have eyes, per se, that see. But when you are outside the body, it's almost as if your entire body, like with your entire skin, you can see, you can feel, you can hear, you can taste. Uh, so, so it's a much more richer type of an environment. Uh, so you can actually see through your hand. You can actually see 360 degrees up and down while you are outside the body. Now, even though the, those are the, you know, the ways in which the astral body perceives, I would say most of the times, especially at the beginning when we leave our body, because of the conditionings from the physical body, we have the tendency to be outside the body and just to, and to try to use the astral body in the same way we use the physical body. So, for example, with vision, 
we normally have the tendency just to see forwards when we're using the astral body. And with a little bit more of experience, we're going to realize that we don't need to look only forwards, but with the astral body, we can actually see 360 degrees up and down and through our entire skin. But at the beginning, our conditionings, our habits naturally sort of like take over. Sure. I mean, the idea of seeing through your hand, you don't have an eye in your hand. So you're like, how is that even possible? But when you're, exactly. when you're a, a, a consciousness and not a, you know, not a physical form, then you don't have those limits of what the physical form is stuck with. Right. Right. But, but we do bring a lot of our habits and a lot of our conditionings outside the body. Like, like for example, even the, the shape of the astral body, it looks exactly like our physical body. Uh, exactly the same hairdo, exactly the same height, the same, you know, extra 20 pounds that I'm trying to Right, <laughs> to that lose. we're all trying to lose. You know? Yes, so it, it looks exactly, exactly like our physical body. And, for example, something I many times make, make uh, jokes of is, you know, when you see people flying and, and, you know, even people who are listening to us right now, they can think about it. You know, if you were outside your body at this moment and you were, to, you were going to fly, let's say, to another city, in which position would you put your body? And most people immediately think, well, I would fly like a superhero. You know, right, I would extend right. my arms out and I would fly. And what happens is that the, the astral body uh, doesn't make any contact with the air per se. So it doesn't need to be aerodynamic. So the position of being like a, like a superhero or like a plane or like a bird is really unnecessary. You can fly, you know, backwards just as fast as, you know, aerodynamically. But we fly aerodynamically because it's our conditioning. Even though we don't do it here, we have already seen people flying, you know, in movies and planes and everything. And we already have like this idea in our mind that this is the way we should fly. Of what flying should be. Well, let's, okay. So I think as far as people who are looking to have an out-of-body experience, that's a a really good way to start. And there's a couple more questions about that I want to ask. But first, Mm -hmm. for people that have trouble even getting to some of these very basic levels or even getting to the energy. What are a couple of the biggest um, things that you see that keep people from even getting into the door or getting even a little bit outside their body? Yeah. You know, one of the first things, I guess maybe the most basic one, is uh, dealing a little bit with the concept of being outside the body. And I guess by that, what I mean is uh, sometimes the fear of being outside the body. Um, so I would say, first of all, for those individuals, the best is to try to become informed to, because the fear is, to, in, in, an ess- in essence, you know, fear of the unknown. And actually, it's intelligent. It's understandable. You know, we should go with a lot of caution, you know, um, when we're going to do something that we know nothing about. Right. So, so uh, it, it's, it's understandable. So what we should do is certainly, you know, like, the individuals that are listening to us right now, you know, uh, listen to other people that have already done it, read books, you know, take a couple of classes, because then you're going to know uh, how things are going to go, and then you're going to know better what to expect, and then this diminishes, you know, the the level of anxiety, the level of fear. So, so first of all, you know, that uh, that aspect. One of the things that I say that stops people the most from having out-of-body experiences is uh, the sensations of disconnection. Um, Because as I was mentioning a moment ago, they are new, they are different. And then when we feel them in the middle of the night or, you know, in the middle of our practice, 
And especially if we don't know why they are produced, they surprise us. Usually the normal reaction of the person is sort of like to block themselves and to think, what is this? Right. And then naturally that that also in a very practical fashion just just doesn't help. So getting to know well the sensations of disconnection is is important because then our reaction is uh, actually I I feel them everybody that leaves the body feel them but when we are feeling them our reaction is okay great today it's working here I go and it's exactly the same sensation that I used to feel you know 30 years ago and that sometimes will surprise me so uh it, the interpretation now is very different because you you have the information in essence so are there any kind of people you would say um, should or should not try out-of-body experiences? Anybody where you're like, hey, man, if you haven't even meditated, you shouldn't try this. Or anybody who, you know, might freak out. Like any, any kind of personalities you think fit better in or not? Um, well, first of all, with the not, I would say Probably, you know, what we have seen is that pretty much anybody can develop it. Uh, but of course, it's it's hard to say 100%. Uh, it's, it's again like learning how to swim or learning how to read. I would say almost 100% of the population can develop it, except for those that maybe have, you know, some very specific ailment or, you know, uh, somebody who's in a wheelchair, maybe swimming or, or doing a sport might not be the, the easiest thing, naturally. Um, so... That, that on the one hand. Now, on the other hand, I would say certainly people who have experienced uh, meditating or who have experienced, you know, already having some control over their physical body, uh, they will have an easier time. Sometimes when you're trying to have an out-of-body experience, you do, for example, these energy exercises or, or something similar to this for about uh, 10, 15 minutes, and then you want to stay lying down or in a very comfortable position in complete immobility for about, you know, at least half an hour, 45 minutes, sometimes an hour or more mm. as the process is taking place. And during that entire time, you should keep your physical body immobile. And what I see many times, even from students, and I am, you know, many times pointing this out, is that... Um, some of them, you know, after five minutes, they are scratching themselves and they are sh trying to shift positions or they sort of like the monotonous of uh, or the monotony of the technique already made an effect. And they're trying sort of like to think about something else and they become distracted by, by some other idea that comes into their mind. So the more you can be, you know, focus on the technique and maybe the more you have practice, you know, things like uh, meditation that actually help for that, you know, so for the person to stay focused and, you know, in the exercise uh, for a longer period of time, the better it's going to be. Uh, because naturally, it is possible to have out-of-body experiences in the first three, five minutes, but those are very rare. Most of them happen, you know, after a half an hour, especially at the beginning, sometimes after 45 minutes, 50 minutes, you have been trying. But if you didn't stay with the exercise during the first 40 minutes, you never get to the last 10 minutes when the OB happens. So give so, yourself give yourself plenty of time and don't yes. come rushing back. Uh, you know, try to get disassociative. You know, don't don't come rushing back to your physical to your to your physicality. Um, as when you feel an itch, when you feel something, because that kind of takes you out of the moment. Yeah, the physical and the physical concerns, all, all of our physical life, really, in essence. 
I think out-of-body experiences got kind of shortchanged because so many people immediately went to near-death experiences, you know, as something yes. similar. And, and, and as far as instead of looking into like, well, when we're alive, we can, you know, let's see we can, how we can move around without using our bodies. Um, but, I mean, that brings me to something where you think of like where can, what are some things you can explore with out-of-body experiences? Now, we talk about just, you know, when you talk about traveling, you know, can you, can you, can you just show up somewhere? Have you encountered other people who are outside their body when you're outside your body? Like, you know, when you're talking about just this associative state, like my con- you feel like your consciousness is somewhere else in the room besides in your, in your own body is one thing. But to communicate with something else or to see extra physical things or, you know, non-physical entities... Um, have you had any experiences like that? Yes, 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 I have. Uh, and uh, I, I would say that's where the interesting aspects of the out-of-body experience begin. You know, uh, certainly one of the most interesting things is precisely having out-of-body experiences with somebody else because that takes uh, away a lot the, uh, the subjectivity of the, of the OBE. So it's, it's no longer just you, but, you know, Two people or more had a shared experience, and then you know they they all remember. It can be confirmed. So uh, those certainly are are interesting. Now you can also encounter beings again that are no longer physical, uh, non physical beings. So um, uh, actually, it's interesting. You know, giving classes in different cities and countries because you see the differences between cultures. For example. Generally speaking, uh, the people south of the border, you know, Hispanics, uh, in general, one of the biggest reasons why they want to learn to do out-of-body experiences is because they want to encounter the deceased dear relatives that already passed away and sort of like to make sure that they are okay. And uh, and this is certainly something feasible outside the body that uh, for sure it can be done. What? Like when you first met something outside of your body or someone or I mean, what was your first meeting with an, a non-physical being outside the body and, and how did that feel? Yes. Uh, one of the first ones, actually, interestingly enough, was outside the body, but with somebody who was physical, also having an out-of-body experience, who was uh, a friend of mine, uh, actually also a colleague from from IAC. And... Um, you know, I we encount I encountered him. We, for some reason, we started talking about uh, one of the projects that we have here. We have this. Uh, well, this is a lot more mundane, but we have this uh, journal, uh, this scientific uh, periodical where a lot of the um, uh, researchers publish, you know, their 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 papers and their accounts. So uh, at that time we were starting the project. This was also about almost about twenty years ago. So you guys and, had that out of body experience, and then you start talking about work. We st- you see the conditionings of uh, <laughs> of, of the physical <laughs> life because I re- I remember thinking about that afterwards. Like, look, we could have done we could have done so many more things, <laughs> you know, that that night. And of course, and on other opportunities we have, but uh, right, but you could have just gone to the bar to talk about work. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and, and, you know, and sometimes I joke with that because uh, I know certain individuals who leave the body and who sometimes they come and they, you know, show me their experiences. And I try to tell them, look, these are all things that you can do with a car, which is great, by the way. Great. But try to go beyond that. Try to see if you can go, 
you know, visit another dimension or find your spirit guide or try to go as, as far away as you can, you know, in, in, in space, in the universe. Uh, uh, actually, I, I would say the most interesting experiences are going to different dimensions just because in, in terms of distance, you have absolutely no idea where you are. The, I, I'm, I'm not even sure that this can be measured. Okay. Because these this references just simply disappear, that, that the reference of distance. But you start to see um, places, um, you know, planes of reality that have a very different, what am I going to say, a very different feel, a very different look. People interact in very different fashions. Uh, for example, you know, uh, there are dimensions where the things that we take for granted don't exist. You know, there, there is no ground. There is no up and down. So sometimes uh, you are talking to somebody, you know, and you think that you are, I guess, standing with your head upwards, but the person comes to talk to you with their feet in the direction that your head are at. And somebody comes to talk to you, you know, uh, at an angle, and there is no concept of up and down and nobody is falling anywhere. So different dimensions with different physics. With very different physics, indeed. Well, I think, I mean, all this is great. I mean, and so just if you guys are trying an out-of-body experience and you use some of these techniques we talked about today and then you feel a little something and you want to get deeper and you want to learn more and, and maybe let's try to visit those different planes or, or talk to relatives or, or things like that or, or find non-physical entities, then what's the website where they can find more from you, Lewis, and find more about uh, the IAC? Yes, probably the, the easiest one to go to is learnobes.com. So learnobes.com. And we'll have that link in the show notes and you guys can just click on it and check it out. And where can people get demystifying the out-of-body experience? You can actually get it on that website as well. But also the, the book is, you know, sold on Amazon. Uh, you can get it on eBooks, on Google Books, uh, pretty much everywhere, iTunes, uh, I believe also has it in electronic format. So if you want to start out, you, you learned a couple of techniques from Lewis here. It was very generous to share that with us. And then you can take that and uh, you can learn about more stuff by checking out the book and checking out the IAC. And um, you mentioned Robert Monroe, and I thought we talked to him. Uh, we talked about him on the show before, and I had to look it up real quick. And we did when we talked about binaural beats, that he yes. was using binaural beats to try to um, the Monroe Institute which have you guys had any, you guys work with them at all ever? We, we, yes, we, we actually have invited them to several of our congresses. And uh, so, so we, for sure, we know, we know who they are. They know who we are. Now, uh, something that I was going to say about Robert Monroe, is, which is interesting, it's actually even in his books, people who have read them probably have, have already come across this, but uh, uh, he developed the hemisync and the binaural beats, you know, to try to help people to have out-of-party experiences. Mm -hmm. But, he himself, for the longest, his technique for having out-of-body experiences was not really the, the, the sound technology. For him, it was inducing these vibrations that I was, that I was mentioning. So, um, you know, that's why I use him as a reference, since, uh, especially here in the States, people have heard of him. Sure, and because, the, I mean, the government sent people out to the Monroe Institute to try to get spies to use OBEs themselves. As well, yes. So sometimes that's the case. Yes, just a fascinating, just a fascinating thing. So, um, visit more uh, and learn more about the IC and uh, Louis Monero at 
uh, learnobes.com. Check out the IEC. He's got uh, seminars all over the world. So you can see, I mean, you were, I see you're Sydney. You're all over the country. Um, you get to travel and teach people about these things. So make sure you check. And if it's something you're into, you might want to uh, see him live at a seminar in your city. And you can find that schedule at learnobes.com as well. Uh, Lewis, I want to thank you so much for spending your time t- with us tonight and sharing a little bit of your knowledge. It's really fun. And I can't wait to take some of the things that you told us tonight and then try it myself. My pleasure, Michael. Thank you so much. All right. You have a great night and we'll talk to you again. So once again, I mean, if you guys have further questions about this kind of thing, make sure you uh, visit their website. And if you try having an out-of-body experience and and want to get further into this, make sure you check out that website, look into his books, um, because... It is something that, that people can say they can routinely experience. Now, I've never experienced myself, but... But you haven't put the hours in and practiced and tried to get right. good at it, right? Like, I mean, that's it right. sounds like it's something that we can, we can actually... A skill we can develop, right? Right, or at least uh, the feeling of leaving your body. And then, I mean, even if it's just all your imagination... It's still a pretty cool thing yeah, to do with exactly. your imagination. Absolutely. A flight of fantasy. For so sure. it seems to be pretty sweet. So the song this week uh, is about out-of-body experiences and how sometimes things that happen to you make you want to leave your body or have an out-of-body experience yourself. Mm-hmm. Right. This song is called Push.
you for listening to today's episode. You can find us online at othersidepodcast.com. Until next time, see you on the other side. That gives me nightmares. No.